How's it going, everyone? Uh, welcome to another episode of the Bottom Up Podcast. Today, our guest is Kate Taylor, who we all met at Dropbox um, years ago in 2013 when both Heller and I joined. Kate had been an OG at Dropbox. She started there in 2012 uh, in account management and moved up through the ranks um, first through channel sales. I want to ask her about that because that means so many different things at different companies. Um, over time, owned the SMB function, um, oversaw a lot of Dropbox's self-serve efforts, um, also did a stint owning the uh, SDR team and building out that function um, before moving after an eight-year stint at Dropbox to Notion, um, where she owned SMB and now moved on to be the global head of recruiting at Notion, which is growing fast and kicking butt and all that good stuff. Uh, Kate, welcome to the show. We're so psyched to have you. Thank you. This feels so good to be talking to both of you and happy to be here. It's awesome to have you. I wanted to ask you about the old days before we joined Dropbox. What was that like pre we're going to get serious about sales phase <laughs> like? <laughs> yeah, I like so that my husband joined when uh, Dropbox was like 50 people. So I also like I got to see it from really from 2011 on um, and just had this like very like family feeling like you kind of did every all of your day-to-day operations all the way through the weekend almost with like blend at Dropbox. It was like a lifestyle. It was a family. It was like really like our home, um, which I think become became one of Dropbox's taglines later on, like the home for all of your stuff or something. Like it was the home for all of us too. Like, um, and that carried on for a long time um, because culture and sort of the, the community that Dropbox was building was so core to the company from the very early days all the way through, I left like over 3000 employees, like that didn't really change. Um, and so I, I really got to see that, you know, really like sunrise to sunset experience there every day and built incredible relationships. Um, and the sales early days when I joined was my husband and like another guy, Kyle Parrish, um, and like one other person, that was pretty much it. So getting to see it from like three people, then really expanding out to like hundreds of reps globally was a pretty uh, powerful experience to go through. Yeah, that's pretty amazing that it was just like a handful of hand selected people. And was the task just, hey, let's figure out revenue? Was that sort of like <laughs> the, the vibe and the tagline around that time? Yeah, I mean, it was like, a full like deluge of leads. Like you couldn't get away from leads. There were, everyone wanted to buy Dropbox for teams at the time. Um, We were recording like really scrappy demos um, and just trying to like get as much Dropbox knowledge into the hands of people as possible because like we couldn't stem the flow. So it was funny, like as you add people, like you feel like your leads are drying up, but you're just adding more people to take on the flow. Um, Cause you just like, weren't even getting back to people in like a reasonable amount of time. So I, when I started, I started as, like an AM, we didn't really have the function. And so the first question I asked was like, we should try to like proactively contact people to give us money. And I remember people on the team being like, why would we do that? I'm like, well, it's like, it's like for money, you know, um, we really just waited for people to reach out to us. Cause we were so inundated with the amount of interest in the product, which was a really lucky place to be in, like no complaints. Um, that changed over time as we grew, but but yeah, like there were some really basic questions we started asking 
which was real. it was a really fun time to be there to, to think through those challenges and then ultimately build it out. Uh, so Kate, you joined uh, a Dropbox relatively early in your career um, in that AM role and, and saw a ton of growth. Um, you've since built uh, teams, which, which we'll get into. Um, if you could go back to 2012, 2013 Dropbox um, in, in a more senior role, are there things that you, you would have done differently um, uh, building out the, uh, the go-to-market function there? Yeah, I think uh, Dropbox really pioneered product-led growth. Um, now I think we see a new trend in community-led growth, but product-led growth was really, I think, started from Dropbox and this whole like, you know, people in college getting like the space race and really bringing Dropbox all over kind of the work environment later and as they started to like graduate and move on. Um, we saw people from like mom and pop shops uh, all the way to like the most like technical companies using it. It spanned so many people around the world. It was an amazing like opportunity to be a part of. And I think reflecting back, there were like, I don't know, maybe two pivotal things I think we could have done differently. One was like the viral growth we started, we like couldn't stop printing money. We like couldn't get away from this like cash machine that was happening. And I think it ultimately hurt the company long-term because we couldn't pivot to being multi-product uh, and tried a couple times, but like we were like addicted to the success of the core product that we like made some riskier bets, but like never went all in enough to like make them be a thing. Uh, like Mailbox was an example, um, like Paper is an example. And there were a ton of other products that like never made it out that, um, you know, we ultimately were like file sync and share. We wanted to continue pivoting, but we couldn't make the changes. I think that were necessary to make that full pivot. So like earlier on, if we had made some tougher choices, like would Dropbox have been multi-product? Would some of the companies that are out there today even exist? I could argue like there was a product early days at Dropbox that was very similar to Quip, to Notion, that like a lot of us saw, right? But it never, we never like shipped it um, for like a variety of reasons. Like would company, some of these companies have existed if we had pivoted um, and taken like bigger risks, which would have impacted revenue. So that was like one. Um, and then I think on the product led side, um, it was really, we never like created this like symbiotic relationship with like sales and self-serve. Like we didn't, we didn't have a clear, like what each role, what each role was going to be like in the customer journey. So they like competed and revenue like was split between two different teams. So it didn't have this like healthy relationship. Whereas now I think companies have like learned from that, you know, now you have this like seed and grow land and expand, like different models have been introduced. Um, but ultimately, internally, there was just like always this competition between self-serve, which you could argue was SMB. But I think a lot of big companies, small teams within big companies operate like SMBs. So we had small teams, I would say, self-serving, uh, regardless of company size. And it never, we just never found that like natural click with sales, like how that would aid the sales team um, without feeling like there was cannibalization or whatever. So some of that internal strife. If we had figured that out sooner, it would have saved us a lot of like org redesign cycles, like internal strife um, that I think companies today are figuring out. And I think Notion would be an example of a company who's trying to figure it out because I think a lot of people have learned from that experience. Kate, what is like the new methodology to accomplish what you're describing? I think what, what you're describing is 
this big repository of existing users and leads. And then you have to stack a sales org on top of that. And you don't want to necessarily go, go nuts, but how, like, what, what are the new best practices to make those two motions uh, symbiotic? Yeah, we've made a very clear distinction internally that self-serve is really focused on landing logos and bringing companies into the product. The product does a bunch of selling and gets the virality going. And it's really sales that brings the use cases together um, and starts to sell kind of this vision of like wall to wall. So our sales team is very focused on these wall to wall, larger deals that bring self-serve together. Yeah. Would your team ever, and not to make this notion specific, I guess yeah. PLG in general, um, I guess there's a phase where why would sales talk to a company that doesn't have organic usage? Is that where notion is now? There's just so much organic usage to sell into. Like, why would we talk to someone who has zero uh, people using notion or are you starting to do like totally cold outbound at this point? We're like, we're right on the cusp of like trying to figure that out. Um, I think when you have like a transformational tool that people are still like notion in tech, like a lot of people use notion, you might use like Coda, there's lots of competitors out there. Like you're using something for like async collaboration, but there are a lot of companies not in software, not in tech that don't know that these tools exist. Um, that wasn't the case for Dropbox. Like Dropbox was pervasive on like age groups, like industries, like it was all over the place. And so we had this unique opportunity to like actually do outbound. Like people did know what it was. It was a lot harder per se, but people like knew what it was. And I think, uh, for Notion's case and a lot of folks who are in like newer spaces, it's really hard to do cold outbound at like an ROI that makes sense. Um, and I think that's like where this roles and responsibilities comes into play. Like, is it sales job to educate people on products or is that marketing's job? Is it product's job? Like whose job is that? Cause all of a sudden when you have like multiple orgs within your company competing to like serve the same purpose. That's when like, I find there was, we just spent a lot of cycles of like wasted time and internal strife. Um, and so we're trying to be thoughtful of like who's doing what and what that like, you know, journey that we're going to go down, like who's going to, who's going to help serve those, uh, or like complete the task related to get the word out there about the product, whatever your product is. That's that's super interesting. It sounds like at Notion, um, y'all are, are potentially drawing some pretty clear distinctions where it's it's maybe product or self serves job to get the land, and then sales's job to to run the the more top down centralized sales motion. I talked to um, Tommy Fink before this, who used to work with you um, at Dropbox, <laughs> and she works for your yes. husband uh, at, at Loom now. Um, and one of the things he um, said we should ask was um, <laughs> about Fink. this thing you've done a lot of a lot of work on um, of understanding whether a specific sales or CS motion um, actually adds value uh, or, or not. Um, and this is super critical in PLG because no founder wants to build a sales team that just takes credit for deals that would have come in anyways. Um, can you talk through that at all? Anything that you've done um, kind of figuring out whether sales is cannibalizing self-serve or truly yeah. adding, adding value? Yeah, the, the cool, the reason I moved from sales development slash like enterprise stuff into self-serve is I was, you know, there was no one who was like figuring this out more than Dropbox was at the time. 
So for me, it was like a special time to like join marketing at the time, then it moved into product. So I got to like span kind of growth and product to figure out this problem of like, how do you get as many people on the website to convert as possible? And what is sales role or the human's role in that conversion process? It was fascinating. And Fink and I were really in the trenches on experimenting around the value of sales and the ROI of sales um, through that. We got to do that for basically like six years together. One of the most uh, like telling trials or experiments we did of this was we put um, chat, like every salesperson's friend, chat on our plans page and we A-B tested it. So we tried to figure out like when popping a chat or like a human into your self-serve journey, like would add value, would help you convert. So we ran a couple different tests. One was like, does interjecting make sense at all? Like, does it increase the conversion rate? And then two, like, when does it make the most sense? Like, so we don't cannibalize, right? Like, obviously, yeah. if you pop up chat at like the first second of someone being on a page, like, you'll get credit for a conversion, but like, they may have converted with at like second 10, but you've like interrupted them. So we, we did a bunch of that. And then the third piece, I guess, to the experiment was like, what can we learn from these conversations to help self-serve be better? I think a lot of times sales is like afraid that if you like, serving your insights back might like take you out of your job. Like they're, they like are afraid of self-serve or afraid of product. They want to give them feedback, how to make the product better to make sales easier, but they don't, you know, they, they want to talk to people. They want to like have those leads and they don't want leads to go away. So like, there's this like fear that leads go away and they self-serve. Um, but in a startup environment where like you're, are, you all want the company to succeed we took the approach of like, let's not be afraid of what happens if leads self-serve. Like that's a good thing. And what the nice thing with our revenue number was my revenue number was part of self-serve. So self-serve wins, I win. And that was never the situation with sales. Sales, it was like in competition with, it either was self-serve or sales, right? It never could be both, which makes sense from like a P&L perspective, like not debating that. But for us, we were like this cool spot. So by putting chat on the plans page, we learned that people were very confused by our plans. They had no idea what our plans meant. They huh. mostly didn't even know they were on a plan. Like, which plan were they on? Like, thinking I always would say this, like, if, any, if I asked any of you, like, which Netflix plan you're on, you're like, I have <laughs> no idea. Like, <laughs> I'm on $12.99 or $14.99 a month. No. You don't know the name of your plan. And we found that, like, most people, they land on this page. They didn't know what they had at that moment. So they would just sit there for a minute. Like, we didn't understand why people were sitting on this page so long. They were stumped. <laughs> they were super stumped by, like, our own products. So we would help people convert. Um, and then, so we just, like, ran chat there for a while after we figured out it was, like, increment, uh, it had incrementality. And then we actually, like, worked with a PM to, like, when when you were logged into your Dropbox account, um, but you were on the website, uh, like looking at our products, we would like hover which product you actually had. And that's like our chat rate fell down significantly from that because then they didn't need to ask us what plan they had. And we had like a cool thing in chat where we knew what plan type they had so we could educate them quickly. Uh, but the product and the website ended up doing that for us. Like that's a win. So I think Fink and I found that like, in a world where you have a strong like self-serve motion, sales can often be like serving in like an education perspective. We found the lines between like customer success, support slash customer experience and sales were very blurry. 
Um, and even in a sales context where you're like doing a big deal, they, you need them to use the product, right. To like expand that deal. So the conversations you're having, whether it's like for five seats or 200 seats is all around using the product. And though that is not just in, that's not a, like a regular sales hat to put on. You're not doing like contract negotiations, you're doing product education, um, and awareness. And so that was we, we really figured that line out. And so we were educating reps a lot on like how to help people learn to use Dropbox and not just trying to like hard sell them on upgrading something that they didn't actually need. We wanted reps to say, you know what, you should actually stay on our free product. You don't need this other product to prevent a support ticket in the future. And now they're happy. They're on this free product. They're probably going to use it more. And when they're ready, they'll upgrade. And so this like creating a good customer experience allowed for more revenue on the back end and that was this healthy blend i think of two or sorry three different teams that had human interaction layered on top of self-serve kate i'm curious like i'm very interested in breaking down the dna of different companies um dropbox has their own dna their own strengths and weaknesses notion has its own dna it's kind of similar like their motion looks similar but there are definitely going to be some differences from company to company I'm just curious how the two have differed. What your biggest takeaway is of like, oh, Dropbox had this natural advantage yeah. or Notion has this natural advantage. What What is kind of the difference between the two companies from from your perspective so far? Yeah, um, I'll just focus on like, I'll talk about like what Dropboxes were and then I'll talk about what Notions are. So first for Dropbox, like the first thing is like the perspective we took early days of building the team was like we hired awesome generalists like people who are just really smart about, and it didn't matter like what they did at the company, but you just like took really, really smart people, you put them on a problem and they solved it. Um, and that was like a very specific stance that we took. Um, that didn't like, you know, stand through like a thousand, 2000 plus employees, but that was like the good, like first group of people that might've had like some background in something related to what they were doing, but you like took really smart people, gave them a really complex problem that they were like probably in over their skis on and they were motivated to solve it. And that's, I think what created such an awesome like network of people, the relationships, I obviously met both of you, but like the relationship I met at Dropbox are like unreal. is because we really not like, we weren't experts. Like we relied on each other. We like put our heads together and we built amazing bonds because like we had no ego we were like solving problems and that, that like, I, I just, the way I've kept in touch with people, I think we took unique approaches to things because of that. Um, and that was like a, an awesome challenge um, that the company was like, we're going to do, gen we're going to focus on generous early days. Um, and then the other thing I think was interesting Our the product was pretty simple. You like put a file or like a, picture like a, something in and you just start using it and that is what made it so pervasive is like it's pretty simple to get started using dropbox but then also it was like really hard to pry people out of that use case because it was like this is what the this is what the product does um but it, it um was so simple and easy to use um and there was immediate value for people across so many different use cases it was very challenging in the enterprise context. I think we struggled a lot with like 
this making it so simple and easy to use. But then like in a business context, your, your IT admin was like, well, this is like too easy to use and kind of scary. Um, and we, we had a lot of like internal angst of like, do we want to solve that problem or not? And like it spent, we spent a lot of cycles on it. Um, but that ultimate like consumer SMB use case is really what took Dropbox to being successful. So those, I did like the use case and like that was a very unique and then just the types of people. Um, Notion, uh, I would say like two unique things there. Um, we are very focused on enterprise um, and we have a very like strong vision toward being a company, a tool making company, a company that allows you to build the tools you need to work successfully. And those building blocks, like watching people build in Notion is fascinating. Um, you can do something very simple or make it very complex. And that foundation will allow us to do lots of things in the future. So I was drawn to that mission. And so I think we're starting with like a little bit more complexity. Yes, it can be as simple as, you know, starting with writing notes in a doc, but that still takes more intent from the user than just dropping a file into a folder. Um, and so having kind of this vision of building for enterprise, being multi-product and like this foundation that people are, you know, building tools on top of, I was like drawn toward that. Um, and then the other one is just on the people side, we are definitely hiring specialists. Um, we're hiring more senior people to begin with. Um, and I would just say like, we're that, how would I articulate that? Um, we want to find people who are best in their craft and the best at what they do to come and bring that knowledge. Um, and so we have less like internal transferring. Um, we have more people who are like deeply invested in what they do and are driven by, um, by that craft that they've built up um, over their past. Um, so it's a, it's a special environment of people to work in because you're like, wow, you're like extremely good at demand gen. Like that's awesome. <laughs> Um, but a different, different from what I was used to previously. Yeah. I think that timing is a big DNA component that I actually don't think about a lot, but 2012, 2013, there weren't a lot of demand gen experts out there just who had worked in SaaS companies for five to 10 years waiting to get scooped up. And now 22, uh, you can hire specialists. So it's almost like you just have to play kind of the cards you're dealt from a company building perspective. Yeah. It's actually a good way to think about it. I think we did like, there were so many things early days at Dropbox that we were doing for the first time or like building out new functions that like didn't exist. That's actually fair. Yeah, if Dropbox could have gone back to 2012 and hired 2022 Kate Taylor, I'm pretty sure they would have <laughs> jumped on the opportunity. It just like, Yeah, it I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, it was an awesome ride. I learned so much and had some awesome like leadership mentors. Um, so feel really lucky to have the experience. What has it been like, Kate, shifting from SMB to recruiting and kind of how did, how did you make that career move? Yeah, like, so um, I, for what it's worth, like I never thought I would be in recruiting ever. Like it ne it's never crossed my mind. I've never been someone with a five-year plan either. And when I told people, I'm like, hey, I'm considering this move. People are like, what? <laughs> um, if people were pretty like, I don't understand, like tell me more. Um, as I explained to people, it makes sense, but it wasn't like, I've never, and I've never been that person who's like had this like 
vision laid out and like each year I just like crush that part of the vision like that is not me um but when I when I went to Notion I um started like in the same space I'd been in previously but getting to build from scratch and built out an amazing team hired great leaders to run those components and so I kind of looked at like okay I'm in this startup we're now past 100 employees I'm into the 200 size like what are how do I want to spend my time here? Like, what do I want to, what do I want to do? What do I want to learn? Um, and growing and scaling the company, like Ivan, our founder says, like, and I totally agree. Like if we hire the best people, like that, that will be what determines our success or not. Like hiring the best people is compounding. And so being a part of that, I love building teams. I love the makeup of teams. If I distill back, like what were my most fun times? It's not the work itself, like the nuts and bolts of what we did, but it's who I got to do it with. So if I could build out notion and have a hand in like thinking about how do we bring in the best people? What are we looking for? How do we bring our values into our interview process? That actually would be like fascinating. It's like an interesting thing to, to, to work on. Um, so that was like first one was like, the company and like what is the problem that's most important to notion then for me personally like i do a bunch of advising and the number one question i get asked is like who should my first sales hire be what like i want to go hire someone in marketing but they have to be a generalist like who would i find i'm like i know kind of because i like worked with a lot of great marketing people but i was like i need to this is what's top of mind for startups too not just notion it's everyone is like how do i get the best team who should i be hiring um and so that like flip of operator experience to like really learn like the the ground level hiring strategy and also thinking about like a multi-office strategy um tackling working remotely in office like what do we do about all this stuff that operational challenge was something that was interesting uh and then like diversification so my husband is also in revenue uh and like I wanted to just do something different that I felt would just grow me to a different dimension um, because I don't, my path is not going to be a CRO. Um, it's more on like the operator side, you know, either VC, maybe it's COO one day, maybe I'll found, I don't know what's going to, what's going to happen, but it's not going to be running revenue. And so I wanted to deviate from that. Speaking of investing, what types of company, what do you look for in a company that you put your own money into? Do you have a thesis or is it just sort of, you know it when you see it? Yeah, I don't have a thesis. I don't spend a ton of my time on it. I love talking to founders because I like talking to like fun industry people and I'm naturally curious myself. So usually how it starts is like, I talk to someone who's really awesome, who has a cool idea and I believe in the, like what it's solving. Um, or I'm intimately familiar with the problem. Uh, and I know enough that I'm like, oh, that actually might legitimately work. Um, and so the thesis is more centered or like how I, how we, how I invest and my husband does it too. So we get to like kind of pick different ones is like, it's a problem that's deeply, uh, we're deeply familiar with and the founders and the people involved, we feel very tied to. Do you care about TAM at all? I feel like Dropbox and Notion have massive TAMs where it's every company, every employee is a potential user of these products. 
And I feel like a lot of Dropboxers go to those types of companies, I think, <laughs> smartly. We love like, pain. Uh, a lot yeah, of us, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're so hard. So do you care about Tam and thinking about companies that you'd advise a friend to join or that you'd want to invest in as an angel? It's interesting because I'm like thinking back, <laughs> like the ones we've done. I ha- it hasn't really been a huge um, part, but it's you. It's mostly been like, wit, who's your buyer? <laughs> That's usually what I think about because like I understand those buyers and I'll be able to tell you whether people will buy your product or not. Do they have um, clout or like yeah, exactly. are they in a role where they can actually buy buy things? Exactly. Like, yeah, I've looked at like a bunch in like the trying to solve the procurement space, um, which I think that's like an area right now everyone's like curious about. Like that is not an area I'm interested in, but like I, you know, so that's like when I'm like, okay, I'm not interested in like that buyer set. Um, so we've looking a lot about like lead gen, lead scoring, um, a bit on like the Salesforce side, I like customize Salesforce because I've dealt with that a lot myself. Yeah. Um, and then community, com- like how do you like harness a community? Um, that's another thing I've been really involved in because Notion is so passionate about community. Um, so it's really about like the buyer, the area or like the topic um, and then kind of going from there. Kate, it sounds like a lot of these founders who you're investing in or advising are probably asking you the same thing you're trying to figure out at Notion, which is who do you hire? Um, yeah. Yeah. What types of people can be successful in these hectic uh, kind of hyper growth environments? Um, yeah. What, what have you seen in terms of which types of, of employees or what types of attributes to look for uh, for yeah. these early stage roles? Yeah. Um... I'll try to say something that you, like maybe people haven't heard before, but a lot of these are like buzzwords, right? And so the one thing we do, I think, well at Notion and I encourage founders to do is try to like get down to having like an authentic relationship with the person you're talking to. Like, how do you take off that interview suit and like just have like a legitimate conversation? There's no wrong answers. Like, is it a fit between the two of us to like start working together. Um, And I think for founders, right? Like you want to understand the motivation of the person that is joining your company based on your stage, right? Because everyone's going to have different motivations. I advise like a pretty early startup um, who's just building out. They just hired their first sales hire. It's like the second sales hire. And they want someone who's like scrappy who can do like BDR work, but also can like close SMB deals. So the question is like, do you hire an SMB, like tenured rep? Do you hire a scrappy BDR who wants to like go up the ranks, right? Um, and that the company isn't actually in a niche space um, where they're like tackling like a very specific problem. Um, and so not everyone's going to want to join that type of startup. Um, and so how, like, how do you kind of craft the interview so you can understand what this person's motivations are, what they get excited about, and then are they coming for the right reasons? Are they going to help the company grow exponentially at the size that they're at? Because they need that. They can't just have someone who's like coming in and crushing sales. That's not going to like work for them right now because they don't even know what that means. So they need a builder. They need someone who's cool with ambiguity. They need someone who like can really like operate on their own where they can build their own processes. They can... Um, they don't need a lot of handholding. And sometimes that can be a really scrappy BDR. Um, so I actually advise interviewing a little bit of both profiles, but using an exercise to see 
you know, more about their process and um, like the amount of research and like their written communication. Cause like those will be really important for them. Um, so hopefully that kind of answers that. Any advice for people in those shoes who are like, okay, we have so many users, so much self-serve happening. It's crazy. How do you even start to get a handle on optimizing that process? It's, I honestly don't even know on my end. I'm curious just to, to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. My thing, my advice would be to start with your customer, like map out the customer journey. Like what is the path you want them to go down? And are you, is your site directing them to do, to do the actions that you believe will lead to ultimate value for them? Uh, so for us at Dropbox, it was very specific that we wanted to get you to a trial. And we believe that if you could try the product, you would buy it. I mean, it was a very predictable business. So everything on the website was geared toward a trial. Things that didn't even make sense. We started to like lose track of like the customer journey because we were just getting everyone to this trial. And so we had pages that didn't even connect to each other that we would drop people into. We had no footers on some pages because, or headers because it like messed up the conversion rate. And so we like lost sight of what was actually happening was it was like humans going through the flow, converting to find value, thus like saying, I'm going to purchase and like pay you. Um, and then I'm gonna start you know, using the product and hopefully renewing. We like lost track of that. And so I think just really backing out, like map out your customer journey and then you take the motions and you put the motions on top of that versus the other way around. Um, and it always has to come back to that. We have this like funny thing at Dropbox where, or sorry, we have a funny thing at Notion where we have like Sesame Street characters in all of our conference rooms to remember like our, the customer seems like silly. You're like, Oh, funny. But like, it actually is helpful. And they, they mail you one when you start the company. So like I have like a cookie monster. It's not actually at my desk. I should move it. My kids stole it, <laughs> but like it reminds you like, Oh yeah. Like I'm not here just like in my own bubble, like building software. Like I'm actually <clears throat> building for a person who is using this product. And that helps us not lose sight um, of like what we're actually trying to do. Cause I think you just get caught up a little bit. Um, and there's so much virality. Oh, it's moving so fast. Things are going so quickly that you kind of forget. I, I imagine that's like extra hard at Notion, keeping the user in mind, given anybody can use Notion. And I, I see people, I know you guys are, are super famous on TikTok with, with college kids. <laughs> you got engineers, uh, doing project management. It, it's kind of all over the place. It, did you find that, that challenging, um, to, kind of empower a team to handle this multi-use case, multi-persona, super horizontal business? Or were there ways that that uh, that, that you found that, that kind of helped scale the business that way? Yeah, I think the cool part is like, we're letting our users help us figure out who's using Notion. We're trying to like add, I was like personas and use cases and go through that journey ourselves. But like our users always surprise, always surprise us with their creations. So we found their, the community, the world, our user base dictates the different use cases of Notion. And then we have this like master vision of like, here's what we're building toward and whatever. But like the real time of like what's happening weighs into that long-term vision. Um, and it was helpful. Like uh, there's a bunch on like our CEO Akshay who I, who hired me and like I worked for, for a long time. Like when you started the company early days, like you started on support. Um, 
And actually Dropbox was like that a little bit at first too. Like everyone did support because you, you talk to so many customers and you learn like all these different use cases because it is challenging. You can have like literally anyone could use Notion. You could just take notes. You could build a really complex database. You could run a CRM out of there. You could do applicant tracking. Like you can do OKRs. Like you can just use it as a wiki. It goes on and on. So like actually talking to people to understand how they were using it helped us continue to like build and shape our product vision. Um, and like, we're getting more intentional about, okay, cool. Like there's lots of use cases, but we really want to build for tech teams. And like, we really want these types of folks to find the value. And here's like different ways we're trying to build for them. Um, but that, that allows us to always kind of think through like, well, there's are, there are many use cases in different ways we're uncovering um, others that, that use the product. Love it. I think this is probably a good opportunity to wrap up, but Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. I know we kind of promised sticking to 40 minutes or so. We probably got out of that range by a little bit, but so awesome to, to catch up. Congrats on everything that's happened since our Dropbox days together. And uh, let's stay in better touch. That doesn't require a podcast recording to, to hang out. <laughs> good to chat with you guys. Thanks, Thanks again Kate. for your time, Kate. That was fantastic. Okay. Really appreciate it. Okay. See you later. See you. Bye. Bye.